How is everyone today? Good? I noticed that several of you are starting to realize that fall is here. Um, I saw more sweater vests today, and I just want to welcome you to an elite club. Um, I know there are some, some wives that are trying to keep their men from wearing sweater vests, and uh, I shame on you for this. Uh, the sweater vest is where it's at. <laughs> I heard a story recently about a family who uh, getting get, getting together for Thanksgiving, like many families do, and uh, they were before they'd have their meal, they kind of gather around in a circle, and and everybody would kind of share some Thanksgiving and pray some prayers. And so they had been going around the circle, and finally it came to one of the younger members of the family, and he he began to pray, but his prayer was a little bit different. Than the other prayers that had been prayed, he was basically at the top of his lungs listing off his Christmas list. And this went on for a little while, and finally his mom, you know, is half embarrassed, wanting to kind of maybe correct him, she leans over to him, she goes, hey, she goes, you don't, you don't have to yell. God can hear you. And he turned to his mom and he said, I know that, but grandma can't. I think that sometimes we treat our prayers to God with a similar feel. But we may not actually yell our prayers, but sometimes our attitude is is somewhat the same. We think that God can't hear us or that perhaps He's more involved in something or with someone else. We think that maybe our prayers are not important enough, they're not significant enough especially perhaps in comparison to the prayers of someone who is maybe dealing with something far more significant than we are. And when we do that, we're really, we're kind of discounting the awesomeness of God. We're minimizing His greatness and His power and His authority. You see, prayer is this incredible resource that we have available to us every single day. Every single hour, every single minute, every second. And the line that connects us to God, it never goes dead. It's always active. It's always listening, always waiting. It's really a very beautiful thing. Last week, I talked to you about how each one of us is is blessed to be a blessing. In the spirit of of Abraham, who who, who God called to be a blessing to all people, we who are children of God, who share in that spirit of Abraham, we are blessed to be a blessing to others. And I believe that God has a plan that was put into action through Abraham, and it extends all the way to us today. And that plan is focused on restoring God's kingdom here on earth. Being a blessing blessing is really kingdom-building work. And each one of us are supposed to be a part of that. And our mission here is centered around this idea, to be a blessing. We exist to guide those who feel unloved and unwanted into the loving embrace of Jesus. And as an add-on to that mission, we have this slogan that kind of organically became a part of who we are, and that is to make much of Jesus. We want to make much of Jesus in our church and in our families and in our lives and in our workplaces. Everywhere that we go, we want to make much of Jesus. 
And this means that all we do is pointing to him because Jesus is the answer. He truly is. He's the answer for our world today that's lost and it's broken and it's hurting. But in order to do this, in order to be a people that, that truly make much of Jesus and in order to live out that mission of guiding people into his embrace, it's necessary that we don't approach it willy-nilly, if you will. <laughs> we can have a plan, we can have a mission, we can have catchy slogans and all kinds of great ideas, but if we don't begin by aligning ourselves with God, then we're going to be off track for the rest of it. Hudson Taylor once said that strategy is important, but if you don't begin with prayer, then you're going to be out of tune with God. The first step in our bless strategy is just that. It is to begin with prayer. And so, I want us to do that first and foremost today. Uh, we're going to do it together. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to do something, okay? When we, when we enter into prayer, it, it, is, it is valuable to posture both our hearts and, and our physical bodies. That's a valuable thing for us to do. And so, in a moment, I'm going to ask you, not yet so you don't get tired, but I'm going to ask you to just place your hands out like this. And this, this is representative of a couple things. It represents, number one, <clears throat> letting go. Whatever it is that you're carrying that you've brought in here today, perhaps something that's in your heart and in your mind that could serve as some sort of a distraction for you today, uh, the burdens that you've been carrying that, that are keeping you weighed down when we, when, we, when we engage in this physical act, we actually are, 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 are kind of saying, I'm going to let go of this now. But it's also a, a, a place, a physical place of receiving. As we extend our hands and our, and our palms are out and open up, we are saying, God, I'm going to receive whatever it is that you would have for me today. And so I'm going to pray here in a moment. I'm going to ask you to do this. Let's go ahead and do this right now. Would you do this? Would you join me in this? I know some of, the, some of us don't like to be asked or told what to do. But uh, would you do this with me? Heavenly Father... I give to you the things that are weighing me down this morning. I give to you, God, the distractions that are in my heart and are in my spirit. I give to you my cares and my concerns so that my spirit, so that my heart, so that my mind might be open and receptive, ready to, to, to hear what you would have for me to hear today. And God, in the same light, my heart and my spirit are ready to receive. With those things released to you, I am ready to receive what you would have for me to hear today. God, speak to me, teach me, mold me as you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen. As we consider the work of blessing others, we have been focusing on the idea that Jesus is our model. And we saw last week how Jesus sought to bless people wherever He went. He, 
uh, even allowing opportunities that, that came to him, such as the story of Zacchaeus that we looked at together last weekend. <clears throat> he allowed those things to interrupt him wherever he went. And, and as we go a bit further and we begin to talk about our strategy for blessing, we're also going to see that Jesus modeled the rest of this for us as well. That first part of bless is to begin with prayer. And prayer, <clears throat> prayer is one of those things that we're supposed to do but I don't know that we are always willing to do it. Several years ago, my father-in-law, some years ago, my father-in-law uh, had open-heart surgery. And I remember that as he, as he was preparing for the open-heart surgery, he had to have a bunch of dental work done uh, because everything uh, in the mouth had to be just right. The teeth had to be ready to go. Everything had to be healthy. And the reason is, is that your mouth, your oral health, it's heavily connected to the rest of your body. Um, if things are not good in here, <laughs> it can impact your heart and it can impact your blood. And so it's probably why every time we go to the dentist, one of the first questions they ask us is, have you been flossing? Anybody ever been asked that question? If you've been to the dentist, you've been asked that question. You know, the hygienist is there, they're flossing your teeth, there's blood squirting out of your mouth, and they're saying, have you been flossing? And we all know the answer at that particular point. Right? Oh, yeah, I mean, I floss when I can. You know, I try to floss. Uh, uh, I, I, you know, I, I floss when there's popcorn in my teeth, and, and, I, and I floss when there's that annoying piece of chicken that gets stuck in just, you know what I'm talking about. Everybody's like, oh, no, no. More of us than not know exactly what I'm talking about. I think that sometimes we treat prayer the exact same way. We pray when we absolutely have to. We pray when there's something in our life that just isn't getting solved or just isn't getting fixed, and so the only thing we know to do is to pray. And, and, and this is good, sort of. I mean, we should, we should pray when we have no other solutions and when things get tough, but prayer should not be our last option or even just an option. Martin Luther said that, I have so much to do today that I have to spend the first three hours in prayer. <laughs> Wow, I have so much to do today that I have to spend the first three hours in prayer. And we, we don't often look at it like this. In fact, the more we have to do, the less time we usually commit to praying. When our schedule is full, I don't think that, the most, that most of us are looking at it and saying, you know, I am book solid today. I better spend the first three hours of this praying. See, prayer is something that we know we should do, and we may even want to do it, but it can be really hard to be consistent. And there are several reasons why we get to this place. Um, one of them is we give the excuse of, I don't know how to pray. We learn prayers as children, and those prayers are things that they get instilled in our memory, and some of us can probably even recite those prayers, but at some point we get to the point where we realize that yub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, is not going to cut it. We laugh, but I can't tell you how many Christian adults I have heard say to me, I don't know how to pray. Another thing we say is, I'm just too busy. You know, prayer takes time. It takes energy and focus, things that we are all often running short on just because of life. And our lives are so busy, and that busyness is often it often crowds out the time that we know that we need to have with God. And the third thing that we often say for why prayer doesn't work is that 
we don't even know that it works. I talked to somebody recently who expressed this exact sentiment to me, sitting across from the table from me and said, I don't even understand why I need to pray. Because last time he didn't answer my prayer. It doesn't work anyway. Why pray? God didn't answer my prayer. God didn't heal my grandma. God didn't change my situation. We pray and nothing seems to happen. And that makes it so much harder to keep on praying. We have many reasons we don't pray, but I just want to say this to you this morning. If you really want to be a blessing, if you really want to change not only your own circumstances, but the circumstances of others, which, by the way, that should be important to us as Christians that we want to change other people's circumstances, not just our own, then you're going to have to begin with prayer. And here's why. Because everything is at stake. Everything is at stake. Your life is at stake. Your spouse's life is at stake. Your friends' lives are at stake. Your neighbors' lives are at stake. Your co-workers' lives are at stake. Everything is at stake. This is really important. And Jesus, as I said, is our model in all of this. And when we read through the Gospels, we see that Jesus <clears throat> regularly and routinely went to prayer with His heavenly Father. Jesus went to prayer, guys. Jesus prayed. When he was baptized, he, he went to pray and fast before his ministry began. Multiple times throughout his ministry, the Gospels tell us that Jesus would withdraw to a solitary place or to a mountainside or to a garden to pray. In fact, the night before Jesus was arrested, he went into the garden and his prayer was, if there's any other way to do this, God, if there's any other way to do this. And then when he was hanging on the cross, his prayer was, Father, forgive them for they have no idea what they're doing. Another time we see Jesus go to prayers from our scripture today. I know this may seem like an odd scripture for us to focus on this morning, but I want you to stick with me. You see, in Luke 6, we're told that Jesus went up to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. All night long he prayed, and the next day it says that he called together all of his disciples. I want to stop right there because I want us to notice what is happening here. See, Jesus is about to make a very significant decision. The Scripture tells us that He calls His disciples together, and if we <clears throat> don't think clearly about what's going on here, we might just think Jesus called the 12 disciples. No, Jesus called a much larger group. At this point in Jesus' ministry, the disciples were not just 12 people. We can only imagine there, when we see that in verse 13, that He was probably calling a significant number of people to come around to listen to what he had to say. These are people that have been following him. They've been watching him heal people. They had experienced the touch of Jesus on their own lives. He had taught them. And now Jesus has this really important decision to make. And so he calls, calls them all together. He has to choose the 12 that he is going to be very purposeful with for the next three years. He's going to teach them. He's going to mentor them. And ultimately, he's going to do something that's hugely important to us. He is going to hand off the church to them. And they're going to take the reins. And so we see in Luke 6 that he spends the entire night praying about this. And then he calls them all together. And the Scripture goes on to tell us that, uh, that uh, he, he chose 12, 12 of them. Now, we know the Gospels, we know the story of Jesus' ministry. We know that some of these guys were trouble. 
Some of them caused Jesus some problems. One betrayed him. One doubted him. One denied even knowing him. They came from every possible walk of life. They each had their own sets of issues, but Jesus chose them. And he did so after, after spending the entire night praying and asking his father what to do. But it was after spending that time with God that Jesus was able the very next morning to act and make a decision with clarity. He knew what to do. Out of all the possible options, and we don't know exactly how many there would have been, but I guarantee you there was more than 12. If you're going to choose 12, you have to start with more than that. So there would have been more options. There would have been more people that he could have chosen from. And out of, out of all the possible options, he chose those 12 guys. And I, I thought about this. I thought, you know, Jesus could have just chosen the 12 that felt right. Maybe the 12 that had the right pedigree. Maybe the 12 that had been the nicest to him or, or had, not, had not asked a whole lot of questions because that would have made things simpler. If he, could, if he could just get people to just yes men, if he could have just surrounded himself with yes men, or maybe if he could have chosen 12 that had shown a high level of commitment because that would have panned out later on down the road, that would have been a big, big help. You see, Jesus knew the strategy. He knew the plan. He knew that, that his time there was limited and he knew that these 12, they were going to play a key role in the next few years of his life. Ultimately, after his death and his resurrection. Jesus knew all of that going in, but he still found it necessary and valuable to talk to his father first. Some of you guys may not know this about me, but when I was growing up, I was a violin player. I was actually going to bring it up. It's downstairs in my office. I was going to bring it, and I forgot. I began studying violin at a very early age. Um, I did what's called the Suzuki method. And uh, I played all through elementary school, and I played in a junior high, and I played all the way through high school until I graduated high school. And one of my greatest accomplishments was becoming the concert master of the orchestra I played in. Some of you may know what that is, but the concert master, and I'm not... This has a point. I'm not just saying, look at me tooting my horn or my violin, if you know. Uh, the concert master is the first chair, first violin section. You are the best violinist in the orchestra. That was like my greatest accomplishment. And, and if you've ever been to, to see a concert or to see a symphony play, usually the orchestra comes out and they take their seats and then the concert master comes out and stands on a podium much like this in front of the concert, and then he or she proceeds to tune the orchestra so that everybody is all tuned. And this particular part of the process is, is really quite important <laughs> because while every single musician has, has the same music in front of them, and, and they even have the conductor up there giving them the beat, if they don't start out tuned together, it is not going to sound good. It's going to be all, all over the place. You have to tune first. Prayer tunes our hearts to the heart of God. Prayer aligns our thoughts. It, it aligns our desires and our intent with those of God. We, we can have the same strategy as God has, you know, be on the same sheet of music, but if we don't begin by tuning our hearts to His, we can all stand in front of the same God, in front of the same conductor, and follow this, but if we are not tuned to His heart, 
it's never going to be as good as if we had begun with prayer. Jesus understood that. He, he showed that to us. He modeled that for us. Every time he had to take a step in the plan that he was already fully aware of, he knew what needed to happen, but every time he had to take a step in that plan, he went to the Father in prayer. And when we pray, we open our hearts to the heart of God, to the leading of the Holy Spirit. We focus our, our minds and, 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 we, and, and we begin to recognize the way that He's prompting us and we receive the direction that we need. And in the picture of seeking to be a blessing because we are blessed, prayer helps us to discover those that we need to bless according to God's plan. Are you following me this morning? I don't think there's anybody in here today that, that says, you know, I don't really think that God needs me to bless anybody. I don't really think that God intends for me to be a blessing. I, I would hope that, that everybody here understands that we are all supposed to be a blessing. Just like Jesus fully understood what He was supposed to do, He knew that He was going to have to choose His 12 disciples. He knew the things that were going to happen. He knew that He was going to have to be arrested. He knew that He was going to have to die on a cross, and He knew that He would rise from the dead. He knew all of these things would happen, but yet every time He would face one of those things, Jesus would go to the Father in prayer. And so here we are this morning. Each one of us knows, I hope, and believes, I hope, that we are intended to be a blessing. And this is something that we should be taking to God in prayer. Hudson Taylor also said, don't have your concert first and then tune your instrument afterwards. Begin the day with the word of God in prayer and get first of all into harmony with him. And I told you, that what we're going to be focusing on these next few weeks together is going to be practical. And so I'm going to be very practical with you for a moment today. We're focusing on five tools to use in our blessing. And the first one is prayer. We must begin with prayer. And just as Jesus began with prayers, he chose the 12 that would minister alongside him for three years. It only makes sense that we would begin with prayer when it comes to finding direction and asking for the leading from God to who he would have us to bless each and every day. And so I'm going to ask our ushers, they're going to come in, they're going to begin to pass out some cards. And once you receive that card today, I, I want you to take a look at it, and the card, is, it, it says, who is my neighbor on it? Like this, you're going to see it as soon as it gets in your hands. Go ahead, guys, pass them out real quick, like, please. This card comes from a book called The Art of Neighboring. And in the center of the page, you're going to see a little house, and it says, you live here. That represents you. And then you're, there, are, there are eight boxes that surround uh, that center, and, and those eight boxes represent your, your neighbors. Now, perhaps it can be your literal neighbors, um, depending on where you live, or um, it could be by the literal homes around. Don't get hung up on the geographical accuracy of this, okay? It's conceptual. Uh, it, it could maybe be family members, the eight family members that are closest to you in your life. It could be um, co-workers, the eight co-workers. All this is is about identifying eight different people who you are close to. 
This is not, by the way, one card per family. This is your card. Eight different people who you're close to, whether it's by proximity or by relationship, that you can begin praying for every day. And even right now, can you come up right now as we sit here with at least a couple of different names that you can put in those boxes? Ultimately, you want to have all eight. A neighbor. Maybe it's a child. Brother or sister. I do know that if you don't sometimes just do something right now, you may never do it. I would really hate for you to stick these in your pocket or leave them on the chair. This stuff is kind of important. So these are the eight, the eight people that you can begin praying for every day. You don't, you don't have to pray like Jesus did all night long unless that, that's what you want to do. But, but you should begin praying for them every day. And we've, all, we've already talked about how this can be really challenging, and so I want to give you one more tool to aid you in this process. Like I said, neighbors, coworkers, family, some possibilities there. But here's, here's the tool I want to give you to aid you in this process. The first thing is this, to plan see, when something is important, most of us will put it on our calendars. And my team knows <laughs> if it's not on my calendar, it's not happening, and there is absolutely no reasonable expectation for me to remember it. Do you remember when I said, nope, I don't. I don't. It's got to be on the calendar. got to be on the calendar. I got to know it's happening. There's just too much going on. So if you're going to be intentional about setting aside time to pray, setting aside time to pray then you're going to have to plan for it, people. You're going to have to plan for it. And some of you may have already developed this discipline of prayer deep enough in your life that you're like, I don't have to plan for this pastor, it's just a part of what I do. And some of you are like, if he looks at me one more time, he's going to know that I am completely avoiding this. You have to plan to pray. So you need to be, you need to pull out your calendar, you need to pull out your phone and say, I'm going to pray now. Um, so, what you plan is up to you. Prepare is the second thing. And before you get out of bed, maybe you prepare, maybe it's before you get out of bed every morning. You know, you're laying there in bed. Um, I, saw, I saw a thing the other day. It said they did a, they did a survey 10, 20, or they did a survey in 2022. It said, what do you, what's the first thing you do in the morning when you get out of bed? And like, I don't know, 90% of people said they check their social media. You know, 8% of people said they check their, their uh, email. And 2% uh, of people said they check the weather. That same survey from 20 years before, 97% of people said the first thing they did when they got out of bed, you know what it was? They went to the bathroom. Tough crowd. <laughs> before you get out of bed in the morning, maybe you can stop and pray. I know that that's, that's mine. When I pull my phone, the first thing I do in the morning pull my phone up and just check and see what's, what's going on. 
Maybe, maybe for you, the first thing you need to do is just to pray. Maybe, maybe it's after you get up in the morning, it's after you had breakfast, and you go downstairs, and you sit in your living room, or sit on your back porch, or sit in your office. Maybe it's every night when you crawl into bed. That's when you need to stop and pray. Maybe it's after you put the kids to bed. But it just needs to become a very regular and intentional part of your day. You need to plan for your neighbors by name. Uh, and as you pray, you need to ask God to prepare your heart for what's to come. The truth is that if you're on mission to live your life as a blessing to others, <clears throat> I can promise you this, it is going to be an adventure. If you're like, I, I just want to be a blessing, and I'm, I'm praying that God would make me a blessing, it's going to be an adventure. Buckle up. God's going to put you to work. And so it's a good idea to ask God to help prepare you for that. Ask God to open your eyes and open your ears to see and hear things that you might not have seen before, to see people and to see situations that, that maybe in the past you, you saw them, but you just kind of overlooked them. Ask Him to give you divine appointments with people that you have identified as your neighbors as well as other people. And the last two are just places and people. Plan, prepare, places and people. And the last two places and people, it's just simply this. As you pray, the question is, to, to who and to where are you calling me today, God? To who and to where are you calling me today? Who do I need to bless? Where do I need to be to bless someone? Um, and it may mean a change in your schedule. The other big thing, we talked about this last week, it may mean just making some space in your schedule. That's my problem, having space in your schedule. So that when something does come up, you can actually do something about it because you don't have somewhere to be in five minutes. Make some space in your schedule so you can respond. Listen, deciding to follow Jesus, it's not meant to be a, a comfortable ride. It's meant to be something that's life-changing, though, for you and for everybody that's around you. I want to tell you a story this morning as I close. Um, Beth Moore, she's a Bible teacher, uh, an author, and she tells a story. It's a true story about something that happened to her in her life. She was at the airport, and she was kind of hurrying up to make her next flight, and she had stopped for just a moment to kind of just center herself. And she, So she opened up her Bible, and she, she read about a chapter, and then she paused to, to pray. After a moment, she looked up and she saw an elderly gentleman <clears throat> sitting across the airport lobby in a wheelchair. And he was, he was very thin, and he was kind of slumped over. But what really caught her eye about this particular guy was that his hair was stringy, and it was tangled, and it was well past his shoulders and going down his back. She, she didn't want to stare, but, but, but she began to feel something stirring Inside her, she had this emotion for this strange-looking old man. And she writes this. She said, I had walked with God long enough to see the handwriting on the wall. I've learned that when I begin to feel what God feels, something so contrary to my natural feelings, something dramatic is bound to happen. I immediately began to resist 
I started arguing with God in my mind, oh, no, God, please, no, don't make me witness to this man. And then I heard it. God said, I don't want you to witness to him. I want you to brush his hair. And the words were so clear. She writes, my heart leapt into my throat and my thoughts began to spin like a top. And so, <clears throat> for several moments, she sat there in the airport lobby and she tried to reason with God. <laughs> you ever done that? You know, surely this is not, you're not really wanting me to do this. This is a crazy idea. But she finally uh, stood up. She walked across the lobby and she approached the man and she knelt down in front of him and she said, Sir, may I have the pleasure of brushing your hair? And the little man looked at her and he said, Little lady! If you expect me to hear you, you're going to have to speak up. She writes, at this point, I, I took a deep breath and I blurted out, Sir, may I have the pleasure of brushing your hair? And every eye in the airport <laughs> was now looking at them. She watched him look up at her with absolute shock on his face, and he said, if you really want to. <laughs> she thought, of course, <laughs> are you kidding? I don't want to. <laughs> but God did not seem interested in my personal preference right about then. Yes, sir, she said, I'd be pleased, but I have one little problem. I don't have a hairbrush. And he goes, I have one in my bag. So Beth reached into his bag. She pulled out his brush, and she began to brush his hair. And she continues, a miraculous thing happened to me as I started brushing that old man's hair. Everybody else seemed to disappear. There was no one alive for those moments except for that old man and me. So I brushed and I brushed and I brushed until every tangle was out. I know this sounds so strange, but I've never felt that kind of love for any other soul in my entire life. And I believe with all my heart that for that few minutes... I felt a portion of the very love of God. The emotions were so strong and so pure that I knew they had to be God's. His hair was finally so soft and smooth as an infant's. She writes, I slipped the brush back into his bag. I went around the chair to face him, and I got back down on my knees, and I put my hands on his knees, and I said, Sir, do you know my Jesus he said, yes, I do. I've known him since I married my bride. She wouldn't marry me until I got to know the Savior. He said, the problem is, I haven't seen my bride in months. I've had open heart surgery, and she's been too ill to come see me. And I was just sitting here thinking to myself, what a mess I must be for my bride. Thank you for brushing my hair. See, you may never know until much later on 
just how significant a moment might be that God is leading you into. You just may never know. You may never know that this encounter, this conversation, this particular act of service was actually a divine appointment until you are in that moment. I'm telling you, and I believe with all my heart, that God is preparing divine appointments for each one of you. I believe and with all my heart that God is preparing the heart of another for that divine appointment that they will have with you. That He is prepping the soil of someone else's soul for that divine appointment that they will have with you. And He is just waiting for you to obediently step into the work of being a blessing to someone else. Begin with prayer. Begin with prayer, and God will lead you anywhere you need to go. Heavenly Father, this idea of beginning with prayer is not limited to the work of blessing. Our lives need to begin with prayer. Every, everything that we face, even when we know it's a part of the plan, needs to begin with prayer. Even when our day is marked out and it seems like there's nothing that we really need to bring to you, God, it must begin with prayer because it is in that act, God, that we get in tune with who you are and what you want for us. So, God, we... We need to be reminded, perhaps quite often, of the importance of beginning with prayer. So, Lord, as we go into this week, I pray that for those here who do not have this as a discipline in their lives, that even if they start small, God, they would begin this week to take time each day to be in prayer, to get in tune with you, to, to, to align their hearts with you. And God, I pray for those divine appointments because I believe with all my heart that if we will obediently do what you tell us to do, that if we, if we will begin with prayer and we will get with you in the morning, God, that you're going to create these incredible opportunities for us to brush somebody's hair and to bless someone and to love them the way you have loved us. God, it is through this that we are building your kingdom Help us to be kingdom builders in all that we do. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.